why do you, why do we exist? Yeah. And they go, oh, we, you know, we make blah, 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 blah. And yeah. like people need that in the market. And it's like, uh, yeah. what business <laughs> are you actually in? And they're like, oh. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for, well, you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career from techie to CMO and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that will inspire the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday, April the 1st. I hope you've had a good week and you're well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark and I dive into some listener feedback and broaden our look into buyer's journey models. I chat with experienced CMO Tim Hines about his book, The Marketing Starter, and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my chum, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. As a regular listener, you know that I like to geek out on all things content. And back in episode 66, I chatted to Thomas PM, CMO of Storyblock, a highly rated headless content management system who are now a partner of the Marketing Podcast Network. Our friends at Storyblock have created something really interesting if you're a content geek like me. It's a new report called The State of Content Management based on a survey of 515 businesses in the US and Europe, companies just like yours, and how they are approaching content distribution through their digital channels in 2022. Managing content is more complex today than ever. Think about it. You have to provide content for your website, maybe a mobile app, and then there's e-commerce platforms, voice-activated speakers. It goes on. Get insights and ideas on how companies like yours are tackling this content challenge with the State of Content Management Report from Storyblock. Just go to storyblock.com slash rockstar for your free report. That's storyblock without the C dot com slash rockstar. I'll also include a link in the show notes. Right, on to our first segment. My chum, Jeff Clark, is a sought-after marketing strategy advisor and former Serious Decisions Forrester Research Director. And this week, we dive into five buyer's journey models. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. Thank you for having me back. Oh, absolutely. What else would I do with my Thursday today? What else would I do? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and uh, we'll start off with agenda item number one, the weather in Massachusetts. How's it looking? Uh, Gray, warming, slightly drizzly. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a a, uh, 
we we had a, a freeze like just like a couple of days ago. It's like it went from being you know warm and sunny to all of a sudden mm-hmm. being in the high teens at night uh fahrenheit and uh and it was just like a real shock of course that happened to be the time that we had somebody come in to work on our heating system (laughs) so uh that was uh, fortuitous yes we um we have had the craziest day today it's bright blue sky right now in uh, in our afternoon but we have had horizontal hail earlier on Mm. when my daughter was walking back from college and wow. uh, and snow and uh, all sorts of things. So uh, our weather has uh, has gone crazy. We had a lovely week last week, though. So, but uh, so that's the weather out of the way. Uh, and now on the politics and their religion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to cough. Uh, yes. Um, no, we will move to marketing. We should. It's, okay. It's, it, I was always taught when in polite company one doesn't talk about religion and politics. One talks about well, marketing. Yeah, but <laughs> between us, that's fine. <laughs> So uh, we last week we completed the five effing marketing fundamentals that you gratefully brought to our table. Um, yeah. Is that the right way of putting it? And um, and we discussed at one point during our, our conversations. In fact, the fourth of our effing marketing fundamentals was the buyer's journey, and we had a listener call in. <laughs> <laughs> mentioned on LinkedIn, uh, Irene Nehill Kane, who suggested we take a look at the Gartner model. I think you were discussing the serious decisions model yep. during that episode. Um, so uh, the Gartner model, what say you, Jeff? I, you know, I think this uh, opens uh, a can of worms or Pandora's box, whatever metaphor mm-hmm. you want to use. But it, it, because there are, you know, I mean, if you go to the analyst firms and you go to the the you know the vendors and yeah. the consultants. I mean, there's there's lots of different models, uh, buying models out there, and um, you know, and they're probably all have their their strengths and weaknesses. Um, obviously, when it comes from a Gardner Forrester, you know, it has a has a certain weight or to it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that uh, it. What I thought would we could do is like touch on a number of them. Okay. And, um, it's and, only and fair, isn't it? It's fair. It is fair. <laughs> I think that suggesting the one from Gardner was absolutely appropriate. And, yeah. and, uh, but I thought, you know, we'd cover, uh, Aida, mm-hmm. yeah, which is kind of like the original Gardner, Forrester, um, the one from Serious Decisions, which is more of a yeah. business model. And then Forrester yeah. has their, had their own that was more consumer oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's one, um, cause I was looking for one where it kind of dug, deep into or deeper into um the post purchase experience yeah. sometimes called customer life cycle as opposed to yeah. buying model and so we pulled one from the uh, Pedowitz group oh that's fantastic so you've narrowed it down to five of all the billion that are out there and yes <laughs> and and you know and i'm we're, I, I think we're willing to have other listeners uh <laughs> suggest <laughs> others and and as we were talking about this in planning it's like mm-hmm. we really should put this up you know, yes. on the site as a blog or whatever. And so yes. if people want to, you know, as they're looking yeah. through it, say, you know, like, here's an interesting variation on. Yeah. Well, one of the, yeah. And also perhaps we should create our own rockstar CMO buyer's journey from, from all of them. But what I, oh, yeah. and oh. one, of, 
But one of the things about this conversation, uh, I will include all the links to these models in the show notes because they're quite visual, aren't they? So I think yes. in the medium of radio, as we are, we're going we're gonna to try our best to demonstrate what these models look like and wave our arms around, but nobody's going to be able to see <laughs> these <laughs> sounds. <laughs> so in your research, and I re- I, that's what I, I really like about our weekly get together is you go off and you look into this stuff. What did you find of the of that? Well, I mean, I don't know if it was just these five, but of, of the research you were doing into these bias models, what did you find they have in common? Should we start there? Well, well I think, uh, yeah, they, they all s- start with some, you know, potential buyer recognizing a need, you know, and mm-hmm. it could be called awareness, it could be called problem identification, you know, yeah. so there's lots of different terms for it. But it's basically the same thing. It's like, oh, my gosh, you know, our company yeah. needs to, you know, we're not hitting our goals in this group. And so we need to, you know, create a new mm-hmm. uh, technology, a new process, a new something. Yeah. So now we're going to go out and search for help on that. They yeah. all end with making a decision, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So you call it action, yeah. you call it selection, you yeah. know, the, uh, you can call it all kinds of things. But but basically it comes down to the buyer making a purchasing decision. Yeah. And then in the middle, there's all the fun stuff, you know, uh, <laughs> which is like, you know, interest, exploring, commitment, require, you know, it's all. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, yeah. uh, it, it's it's various ways of looking at how people go through the process and whether it's an individual right. and a consumer or whether it's an organization, there's, yeah. there you know, there's a similarity in how you approach it. But these different models, you know, they, co- right. they come up with interesting ways of, uh, of uh, you know, basically helping you create the construct that you can look at your own right. buyers and their journeys. Right. So, but also, did, did you? I mean, is there varying levels of complexity as well? I mean, I think when oh, we were ab- chatting, absolutely, last time, yeah, when absolutely. we were chatting last time, we our advice to folks when building a buyer's journey was to keep it simple as possible. But obviously, these guys. I mean, I know you're a former analyst, as as am I, for a short, very short period of time. You've got time to explore yes, every nuance of this. If things. we didn't create complexity, what would we be doing? <laughs> uh, but the thing, I think, the thing is that the complexity they add usually helps yeah. you helps you understand something about the process and and, yeah. it, and 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 whether you in your own construct which we as we right. wrap up talking about this as you're yeah. using it yourself it's like yeah what what do you do with all that detail do you is yeah. there some way you can use it or you just that's nice background and now i'm going to yeah. create my my model yeah yeah um everybody should shouldn't they it's, it's their model they shouldn't stick religiously to these so yep. right so you name five so let's start with the first one ada tell me about that yes which is i i, I can't remember are we going alphabetically or are we going <laughs> because it, it works either I'm, way I'm, I'm following your notes you, okay yeah the way the, the, way the notes <laughs> yeah. work you, you're not going alphabetical mate you're going ada gartner forest of serious decisions forest of oh Penance. that's right yeah okay so anyway so um <laughs> ADA, which is an acronym mm. for awareness, interest, desire, and action, is uh-huh. the how I, I could say it's the granddaddy of uh, of models. Um, it was conceived by Elias St. Elmo Lewis in wow. the year eighteen ninety eight, which is the year my uh, grandmother was born. So maybe I should wow. say it's the grandmother of all models. <laughs> um, and I actually did, you know, because as we select music uh, for each of these episodes, I often I went to look at what were the hits in 1898. Uh, wow! I, and I noticed that my old New Hampshire home was uh, was on the charts, which I used to live in New Hampshire, so I thought that wow. was thought maybe that could... would be astonishingly old music, even for it, us. 
<laughs> yes, but it had been, but it was recorded by somebody uh, a little yeah. later on, not yes. in not in eighteen ninety eight. Um, anyway, so this this model and and the actually the guy um, mm-hmm. who created it, Mr. Lewis, he uh, he's in the advertising hall of fame, which I didn't know yeah. existed, um, right. and maybe sometime we'll be in there. But yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, it was it was actually the first time. And, you know, this is mm-hmm. at this period. This is kind of like the beginning of formalized advertising. You know, there's a lot of print publications, and there's and a greater consumer uh, mm-hmm. buying power, and so people are starting to you know uh, advertise and sell to that. And so it was the first time we kind of created this stimulants response concept. So if somebody's right. aware. So we got to secure their attention, you know. And so if they're going into interest, we have to hold their attention. And then we have to take them through to desire and create confidence. And so they so there are and I don't know, remember, Mr. Lewis created this or whether this was, you know, uh, somebody building on this. You know, have these little sub stages for those four, you know, and. You basically, you know, you you secure the decision, and then you create satisfaction. So, <laughs> yeah, astonishing, though, isn't it? From, I mean, we're always talking about what's old is new again. Yes, <laughs> and that yes. idea that secure attention, absolutely hold attention through interest. Well, that's content marketing. Arouse, yeah. arouse desire, which is old fashioned language, really, for what we talk about in terms of engagement. Um, yes. Create because I don't think we can use the word desire anymore. In, in <laughs> well, actually, that's where I was. I, I was as I was reading through this, I was like, you know, it sounds like my dating life in the t- my twenties. You know, yeah. <laughs> trying to sec- and, get attention. <laughs> yeah, and then creating confidence and belief, which is trust, which we all talk about now all the time, and then securing the decision, and action, and then creating satisfaction. I mean, that's that's astonishing that that was all in place. All them Back years in ago. 1898. So yeah, mark yeah. your calendars. So um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, so the idea obviously is that the marketer and this is kind of true with all these is the marketer or a salesperson yeah. can use the stages to say, OK, what what's the right stimulus? Yeah. You know, where does advertising work? And then where do I have yeah. to have a call to action where they're going to get something and then I get yeah. in a sales cycle and what's the response yeah. going to be? Yeah. So, you know, you're trying to move the buyer along their mm-hmm. journey. And the only change really is, I mean, when we talk about stimulus to move the buyer along, we're normally talking about answering, being the best answer to the question, using content marketing to do mm-hmm. that, right? Whereas obviously when this was written, it was much more of an in-person probably and advertising yeah. type type um, process, but it's exactly the same process. That's, that's yeah. astonishing. Yeah. So, so that's our number one, which I think should be number one. Absolutely, what with it? I mean, I'm not. This is this isn't the charts. I'm just saying that <laughs> yeah, really. you're going to start from somewhere. That's a great place. Number to start. one on the charts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a great place to start. So let's move on to um, your second suggestion. Well, it wasn't really your suggestion. It was Irene's. Irene's suggestion. Yeah. Um, what did you find when you looked at the B2B buyer's journey from Gartner? Well, it it what it details out. I mean, it has four stages: um, yeah. problem identification, solution exploration, requirements yeah. building, supplier selection. So up, so yeah. you know, one difference from Ida is it's more B two B oriented because mm, there's a true. there's there's the details yeah. of the research going on. And, and, but you know, I thought it was interesting that they, it, it, particularly in the visual visualization, which we'll show, yeah. is that you know, in the midst of all these typical steps, you know, mm. like online research. And, you know, RFP creation, they have some interesting milestones. I certainly wouldn't have thought of CEO turnover. Yeah. Going to get a buying consultant, going to, you know, getting on a discussion group at LinkedIn to do. So, so I think what this does is, is it helps you. And and this is 
you know, the way they build it out is genericized, but obviously this would be very different for very different organizations yeah. because, you know, yeah. it's helping you give an understanding of what's going on inside the yeah. buyer's organization. Cause yeah. you know, you may be in contact with the, the champion or, yeah. you know, some, maybe even a decision maker, but it's like, there's all kinds of other stuff going on. And, and so yeah. helping you visualize what that other stuff is, particularly for a sales person is just going to be mm-hmm. incredibly helpful because it's like, you know, like that point CEO turnover. Okay. That means, yeah. that means th- there's probably going to be a change in the way the original problem was viewed or yeah. it may be easier. It may be harder, may have a different budget, you know? So you got to go find out what that, that issue is. Yeah. <clears throat> so you can, you know, you can, um, yeah. You can work yeah. And just to time. explain to the listeners, you know, the, the, what we're looking at is a, the B2B buy journey. Those very simple steps in the middle, problem identification, solution exploration, requirements building and supply selection. And then around that, what they've included is a whole bunch of stuff that could be happening in those phases. Which a is wacky flow diagram. Yeah. yeah. It is. But what, uh, one of the things, um, one of the things I found interesting about this is those four particular steps were, I don't know. I, I wasn't. I didn't. I, didn't, I wasn't really excited by that. And I thought that was interesting. There is actually it does reflect the buyers by the problem with the buyer's journey in the B two B world. The real buyer's journey of what they do is you notice that there's problem identification. Then they start looking for a solution, and only after that do they build requirements. Which is, from my perspective, like whoa, what's going on? Which is absolutely always what happens, isn't it? People find yeah. a solution and get caught up in the shiny tools. We marketers do this all the time. And sometimes we just skip the whole requirements building. Process yeah, 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 yeah. And, 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 buy, and buy the shiny thing. And, and part of this gets into the um, uh, the terminology yeah. uh, because yeah. the terminology may not work for you. And and it's like the yeah. the the per- I don't know who conceived this, but the person who conceived it may be thinking of solution exploration as yeah. I'm just out there understanding. Do people have this problem? How do they solve it? They're not really getting into the defining the solution which i think as you get as we get to the next model which uh yeah. i'll i'll, I'll yeah. wait for the intro it gets a little yeah. bit is a little bit uh yeah, yeah more well articulated let me put that yeah way. yeah absolutely and nothing against irene's suggestion i think th- i just oh, no. think it's an interesting um conversation topic and, and you're right it's how do you define solution exploration and in my experience many b2b marketers that would be googling finding something shiny getting a demo and getting carried away with all that yeah. before they'd actually done their requirements which yeah, i thought yeah. was an interesting element yeah. of that particular journey model so we move on to the third oh god look at the time we've got to crack on we move on to Cracking the third on. which is probably one that you know reasonably well the forester serious decisions yep. um b2b model tell us about that well so it takes it it uh you know it takes three uh phases education mm-hmm. solution selection and then yeah. breaks it down into kind of two sub phases each so and and again we're kind of doing the same thing loose the the the, uh at the beginning it rather than just awareness it's like loosen the status quo so somebody again understands there's a problem and it's like we got to do something different so next i'm going to commit to change okay and i'm going to get the company it's like okay we need to go solve this problem which like in the gardner model they you know it's like internal presentation to get confirmation that it's time to move on and then you get into exploring solutions committing to solutions so you know now you're you're going as you kind of point out in the previous one is like now you're doing this thing where i'm exploring and then i'm going to commit that yes i've i've either i've got a solution or i've i've narrowed it down 
yeah. before I move into the selection part, which is justifying and then making yeah. the selection. Yeah. Um, what and, I like about this, just to interrupt you on that sure. particular point, is I quite like the more emotional language that they've used there in that buying decision stage to reflect a little bit about the challenges of what, what's going on, particularly in that education phase where you're loosening the status quo and you're committing to change. Those are very much emotional states that your buyer or your, your target audience or your target account are going to be going through and that you're going to need to, you know, you you're going to need to do in your content marketing or in your marketing at an early stage. Yeah. Gets me choked up. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 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 All right. Maybe not that emotional. (laughs) So, but I think the, the thing that I think, at least I found, and of course I used this Mm. as a client and then I was, you know, at the company and we were talking to it like, but for things like campaign planning and content planning, this was a really good model for, um, you know, for saying, you know, we're creating, you know, web content or whatever for this stage, Mm. we're creating white papers or, Mm. you know, sales tools for this stage. And, and so it becomes a a good uh, planning construct. Mm-hmm. And plus, you know, serious decisions because they would do these um, buyer analyses on a buy uh, every other year uh, for different titles and different industries. And so there was data that you could use. You kind of benchmark uh, yourself against and understand. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, this is if we're selling into the manufacturing sector, this is mm-hmm. where they engage in these particular activities. Mm-hmm. And this is the type of content they like. So now you can you can create a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and then see how it also, how you align it to your mm-hmm. sales stages or your lead funnel stages. And again, not that you want to, you know, uh, over, uh, mm-hmm. get things too complex and how you operationalize it, but, uh, it's still, it, it's, uh, it's, I think it's the, probably of the ones we've talked about so far is kind of the better planning tool. Right. Right. That's an interesting point, actually, not to degenerate, de- um, not to cast shade on Irene Solutions. At Gartner. <laughs> I'm very conscious that Gartner, that, that, that we, we were recommended to look at Gartner. Um, but w- what I think, um, and I think that that's something that serious decisions do really well, don't they? Because they've got that uh, that B2B focus that, um, that these models tend to be very well yep. art- architected from that perspective. Plus, um, have a very practical element of it. I mean, the difference between this framework, and again, apologies, listeners, you can't see the visuals, but the difference between this one and the Gartner one is it's very much more of a practical application of how what you need to do during that buyer's journey, isn't it, rather than yep. just a random bunch of whatever that is. All right, so, <laughs> so that's our third one, the Serious Decisions Buyer's Journey. <laughs> Moving on to our fourth, you said Forrester for the fourth? Well, Forrester, so when, when uh, Forrester acquired Serious Decisions, they had a, I mean, they were, had done a lot of work on customer experience, buyer journeys, et cetera. And so they had a, a model, which, again, because the company was more business to consumer focused, uh, you know, at the time, it, it, it tends to, uh, you know, f- uh, have that kind of application. But it is more, it's, it certainly is also broadly apl- applicable. Yeah. Um, but it goes through six steps of, mm-hmm. and it, it, you know, again, it's, it's just different terminology, ask, yeah. engage, discover, explore, buy, mm-hmm. um, and then, and, and then, then use, and then use, which is yeah. like, okay, now we're actually getting the fact that the customer doesn't go away once you yeah. bought the product, 
you, you know, yeah. they're, they're actually doing something with it and yeah. you may want to sell to them again. Matter of fact, in yeah. most B2B relationships, yeah. you do want to continue to sell. And certainly in anything yeah. that is a more of a SaaS model or subscription based yeah. model, it's like you, you there's sure. where you need to dig into the uh, use part because you need to yeah. make sure that they're going to come around uh, for the next yeah. ask. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, uh, and I, I think use should be almost in almost everybody's buyer's journey. I think it that post sale should be in everybody's buyer's journey, particularly in SaaS. I mean, I was chatting to uh, a SaaS business software executive about um, about win loss analysis. You know, we were chatting about that the other day on the on the show, and um, and when I talked about loss, they were talking about losing customers through churn, like you do as a SaaS, yeah. SaaS vendor. And so that make that's a di- different dynamic, isn't it? When when some of these models were built from a from a from a sell and sort of go away perspective or perpetual perpetual models that use piece is becoming very much more important isn't it yes it it is absolutely yeah. more important uh, i'll yeah. i'm going to i'm going to hold on that thought for uh 30 moment. seconds for right. a moment because i think the other thing that this model does is that it it brings in the external forces uh right. which, which certainly aren't clear in the other ones yet but it's like you know yeah. it talks about advocates community influencers and how they help yeah. make the the help the wheel because because they've depicted this not as a linear flow but more as a wheel. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like how how do those you know groups of people how do they help yeah. the customer go through the process and yeah. uh, which I think is extremely yeah. value valid point uh, on its own. Yeah, and I think if people listened to the show a couple of weeks ago, I was banging on about hamster wheels, and this is quite nice. And then it, it actually shows it actually shows the customer journey as a wheel, but it's being driven by a chain that's being driven by cogs of, of what it yes, is you do. Yes, so again, yeah. struggling to to. Bring I think this the to I life. think the brand team uh, said <laughs> we're not putting the hamster on, <laughs> on the diagram. <laughs> All right, let's look in the the, the well. We were gonna uh, we never managed to do anything in twenty minutes, do we? But um. So let's look at the fifth. So the Pedowitz Group, which, to be honest with you, I was completely unfamiliar with. So tell me about yeah. that. Well, so so they're, I mean, they they're more of a consultant than a than a mm-hmm. uh, you know advice. Well, I should say more than an analyst firm. So they're, yeah. I mean, they've got a model that that I think it's it's funny because it's similar to other models I have yeah. seen, and I know when we were at SDL, we had kind of our own customer yeah. lifecycle model we were working yeah. with, but. Um, it what it does similar, similar to this actually, didn't it? It yeah, was like a yeah. mo. What's the what's is it? The Mobius. This is like a figure eight. Yeah, the yes. Mobius loop or whatever it's called. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And uh, and so it breaks. It takes that use phase that we mm-hmm. talked about with the Forrester model and breaks into yeah. five stages: onboarding, adoption, value realization, loyalty, and advocacy. Yeah. And I think what what is really good about this is that. Is that and my experience working with customers that were that were more um, you know SaaS oriented? It's like okay, yeah. we've we've got the customer, you know. So did we properly onboard them so they can yeah. use the product? Yeah. Once we've properly onboarded them, did we are they adopting it? You know, yeah. and and then after they've adopted it and okay, they're using it, are they getting the value out of it? Have we have we built loyalty? Are they advocating on our behalf? And so these are. Yeah. I mean, these are things that, you know, certainly marketers and salespeople or account managers in, in SaaS businesses or subscription businesses, particularly, yeah. but it could be in any, I mean, you really need to pay attention to, to, you know, how the customer is, is yeah. experiencing 
the product itself or the service yeah. itself, because, yeah. you know, that's going to be the key to making sure that, you know, you've got return business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there are things that marketers and salespeople can do at each of those five sub phases yeah. to, um, you know, to, to take advantage well, of it. Absolutely. And part of the challenge of that, isn't it? Sometimes in B2B. I mean, I think a lot of this applies to B2C. It's just not our, um, our, our expertise, I guess. But yep. um, the, um, the, the moving them, often moving people between these different stages, particularly post-sale, means moving them between different parts of our own organizations, right? Which is yeah. often where that friction happens. Which is, the, yeah, the where things fall yeah. through the cracks yeah 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 so that's fantastic so those are the, 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 the I, i'll feature those five models in the show notes so so people should take a look and, and go through the links um but uh why uh, broadly speaking i mean we looked at what was in common with all, all five of them in your research but why just to reiterate perhaps what we talked about as the fourth effing marketing fundamental why why is this construct necessary i so one is it uh it helps in in planning you know, engagement yeah. strategies, you know, your events, demos, whatever, it helps in developing the content so that you can, particularly if you, if you know how your, uh, your potential buyer operates, yeah. you can make sure you're serving their needs, yeah. um, at the different stages. It, it can also help, um, to do some benchmarking, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to see if you're, you know, if, if you're, if you're providing a good customer experience, you should be yeah. seeing that you're getting the conversions, if you will, as you bring either people down a funnel or across yeah. a <laughs> or around yeah. a loop, whatever that is. Yeah. And um, and you know, if you're capturing you know behavior data from your digital pro- properties or any other interactions, if you're aggregating yeah. it, you know, then you can start to gauge. You know, I see people take a particular action or I see a set of people take a particular action. Now I can make some assumptions about where they are in their journey. And I know when you were talking to Carrie Cunningham, you know, because of the the, the amount of data they're able to capture, you're, yeah. you can start painting those pictures to say, oh, I see an account where we know there's multiple people involved in doing yeah. research and they've moved somewhere. We may not know exactly where they are in our journey yeah. Yeah. Uh, as we've constructed it, but we know they're somewhere moving their way down. Uh, yeah. And getting close to that selection part. Yeah, yeah, no, cool. Okay, so that's great. So that's why we, that why we need to do it. Which again is a, a bit of a reiteration of our our fourth marketing fundamental. Um, and now our next agenda item is our song selection, sir. So what would you like to go for? Yes, I think I'll dispense with the uh, tune from 1898 and go <laughs> to, up to 1985. Mm-hmm. So all, almost a full century later, Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. Nice. Because they, the, the, the guy says, you know, will you recognize me? Call my name, walk on by me, you know? So Excellent. do you know where I, who I am and where I am in I my like blind that. journey? I like that. So that's a classic tune. So Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me from 1985 is what we'll play out with. And will you be returning to that hot seat here at Rockstar CMO, my friend? Yes, I will. We'll decide what we're going to cover. Well, we'll see how hot it is. Yes. All right, mate. I'll see you then. Okay. Thank you.
Thank you, Jeff. Sticking with the 80s this week with Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds from 1984. Reminds me of the movie Breakfast Club, another 80s classic. Thanks again, Irene, for your inspiration. And if any of you have any thoughts on the topics we have discussed, please get in touch. We are Rockstar CMO just about everywhere. And of course, I'll include all the links to those models in the show notes. Right, on to this week's guest. Tim Hines, a.k.a. The Marketing Starter, is an author, podcast show host, keynote speaker and consultant who shows people how to harness the power of the entrepreneurial spirit to excel in all that they do. Tim specializes in developing omni-channel marketing programs within a variety of industries and partnering with startups to get their dreams off the ground. With nearly 20 years of experience, Tim has developed strategic marketing initiatives with a multitude of clients, including Dialpad, Tribune Media, Ticketmaster, and as you will hear, the CIA. I couldn't resist bringing that one up. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Tim. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Doing good. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're very welcome. You're a fellow member of the Marketing Podcast Network. How could I refuse? <laughs> right? <laughs> Doing a little cross-pollination action. Uh, can't wait to have you on my show. So we'll, oh, we'll do that soon. Splendid. Well, we'll talk about your podcast in a moment. But for the listeners that don't listen to your podcast, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So Tim Hines, Mm-hmm. Career long marketer. Uh, yeah. Actually went to school for marketing, which I know is something that uh, interested you. Yeah. I know that yeah. you talked to a lot of people that kind of fall into it. It seems to be a career yeah. that people often fall into. And I, maybe I fell into it in a way, but maybe a little earlier than other people. Yeah. I actually was originally going to school for architecture and I couldn't hit couldn't uh, hit those the, the, that math level that needed to, right. that needed to right. be there in right. architecture. And so I was like, well, What's another thing I really love? And I love business. And I kind of I kind of worked my way into marketing and it just mm-hmm. its nuance of understanding the, you know, the the human experience and yeah. behavior. I found that so interesting. So I, I jumped into yeah. marketing there and I've been uh, working for nearly 20 years in technology and startups and a variety of different industries. Uh, yeah. But mostly my experience has been really taking this entrepreneurial type of mindset and applying it to what I do in marketing. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of what I stand for and what I'm all about and why I have this uh, moniker known as the marketing starter. No, I like that. We'll get into that as well in a moment. And I, I was saying to you before we press record, like you're the second person in, in two weeks on, on the show that's actually got a marketing education. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, I don't have a full marketing education. My marketing education is all these books behind me. Um, uh, but so those honestly can... are probably better than going to college for <laughs> anyway. I mean, let's be real. It changes so fast. Like, you know, yeah. what did I learn back in the early 2000s yeah. that even applies today? I couldn't tell yeah. you. Well, <laughs> so. one of the things I think is interesting in the debate about marketing education is just that, isn't it? That I think that as a marketer, you need to remain a lifelong learner, don't you? Because things 100%. change so much. So I think having the education is a great foundation and probably teaches you to learn. But you, you you can't rely on just that, what you learned in the same for me, right? So even... People will get more out of your podcast than they will out of a consumer behavior <laughs> course uh, in college, that's for sure. That's very kind. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, they get an hour of, uh, of whatever this is. <laughs> <laughs> the, and so, uh, to, to, so we, we've got a little bit of an idea there of what inspired you through, 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 your, through your studies. And that's also interesting that people find marketing, don't they, when 
they're when they're studying business it's probably one of the more interesting disciplines otherwise you're going into accountancy or some kind of <laughs> boring stuff like that um so but what i really enjoyed and i picked this up from your book which we'll talk about in a moment is that as you were finishing your studies you did marketing for the cia <laughs> i did I, I did so yeah um as part of the uh the final program, uh, an advertising class, uh, that I had when I was at the university of Illinois are, we, we were, we were employed, uh, for, uh, lack of a better term by the, the CIA to actually build kind of a, a a test campaign for their careers. And Mm -hmm. so we, uh, broke up into teams and our entire class took on this project. We broke up into teams. Um, basically we built an entire campaign, uh, to help raise awareness for CIA careers on campus uh, mm-hmm. at the University of Illinois in Chicago, where where I went to school, so it was pretty cool. I was part of like campaign activation team, so I was kind of like that wear many hats type of leader of a team where we had to you know assemble events and work on work on the marketing plans and and actually talk talk with our CIA li- uh, liaisons and getting all the branding elements put together and all that yeah. stuff. So it was pretty cool to have this. Uh, the semester-long project and, wow. and internship, if you will, working for them to to actually put together a really cool, active and real real yeah. campaign on on campus to to recruit uh, people to join the CIA. And what was funny is at the end of it, uh, they did ask us. They're like, "This was such a this was one of the best mm-hmm. um, one of the best campaigns that we've seen run on our campus. This was so yeah. great, so much detail. Like it was really yeah. successful. We had all these great metrics and KPIs." And they said to us, they're like, hey, well, we'd love to, for the team leaders that were part of this, we'd love for you guys to actually come on board. And I was like, that would be really neat. And I said, is there basic training, though? Because I know that this is (laughs) part of military, like, yes, all CIA uh, employees, whether they're in the business side or they're agents, they're not, they actually don't call them agents. (laughs) That's actually a a misnomer. Um, They have to go to basic training. And I was like, ah, yeah, no. Uh, I like going to the gym and stuff, but I'm not going to, yeah, I can't do six months of basic training. So I ultimately didn't do that. But I, you know, I, I also often think of, man, what would I, what would it life have been like if I went to Langley and, yeah, and worked yeah. at the CIA? It would have been really, probably really interesting, I think. Well, I think that's fascinating. And, and I mean, you are definitely the first guest that I know of that was in the CIA or <laughs> <laughs> worked with the CIA. And I'm imagining, I mean, with my fervid mind is that that's when the marketer gets the brief, you know, on a, on a, on a sort of windswept bridge where you sort of do a dead drop or something. What's the, what's the brief? The bird yeah. is flying. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like That's this something. message will explode in 30 seconds. You're like, yes. it's literally just a tweet. We're just doing marketing. Why does this have to be so serious? <laughs> Everything's so serious with these guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you've gone through the basic training, then absolutely. So exactly. You could market with menace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Market but, with menace. That's a, that's a, Hey, that's there, there's another podcast idea yeah, right there. Yeah, my, couple, of, <laughs> couple of heavy hitting marketers for sure. So that had been through basic training. But like I say, I learned that story from your book, The Marketing Starter, How an Entrepreneurial Spirit Will Make You a More Savvy Marketer, which is, uh, I mean, that's a great title. I mean, The Marketing Starter is a great title, but I love that sub, subtitle Thank as you. well, This Entrepreneurial Spirit, which really comes through in the book when you talk about that. But let me start with the actual writing of the book, because I think many of us marketers think we've got a book inside us. What inspired <laughs> you to actually get this down and write this book? Yeah, well, that's an interesting story. And, 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 and going off of that note that you just said there, yeah. 
I think we do all have a book inside <laughs> of us. Because, yeah. Well, I mean, we all have some sort of experience, that unique yes. experience that we can share. It yeah. just comes down to like putting pen to paper and sharing mm-hmm. that idea. And, and, and honestly, of, of the, for all the would-be authors out there, writing it and getting the manuscript yeah. done is literally a quarter to a third, maybe yeah. max of the work. The rest of it comes yeah. after that. Like just getting the thing made yeah. and published is way yeah. more work than writing it. But, but yes, yeah, the idea, yeah, the other thing I heard, because I talked to authors on this podcast, it's then the promotion, isn't it? That, so, oh, yes, so, which I'm in the middle of right now. And thank you yeah, for having me on the show. Yeah. So the writing was really easy. The, then getting it made, that's the hard bit. And then it's the promotion. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm in the throes of that at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the book actually came out on March 29th. And mm-hmm. depending when when this is airing, no, obviously. No, this goes live on, on, on Saturday. So it, it you your book uh was published this week perfect middle the middle of this week yes so uh you're in the throes of it so i'm giving an hour of my time here to this show in the middle of promotion (laughs) it's all part of all part of the shtick right yeah (laughs) so yeah 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 so um so the the core idea is this idea of the marketing starter so what do you think makes a marketing starter so i break down in the book what the concept of a marketing starter is and i try to eke it to three parts. Mm-hmm. One, you're a marketer, yeah. <laughs> obviously, first and foremost. Yeah. Two, you're part an entrepreneur, right? So mm-hmm. you're thinking like a startup founder would. Yeah. And then the third part is that you're part scientist. Mm-hmm. And all of those are then what I say are wrapped up in a blanket of hustle. <laughs> and <laughs> and and so you know we know what hustle is and that's that yeah. uh, that's that ability to the grit and the grind to get up and do do things and make things happen yeah. and you know i look to i look at um other marketers that are doing cool things like even mm-hmm. even you with with this podcast like i mean you've yeah. got your you've got your own stuff going on you got your day job you're working on you're trying to also launch a cool podcast where you're sharing great yeah. ideas and meeting with people yeah you yeah. already have a great foundation of what a marketing starter is just by like going out and doing something you know one of the things that i think one of the things that i believe sets entrepreneurs apart from Mm -hmm. everybody else in this world is that anyone can have an idea i have ideas you have ideas you're like i've got a great idea for a podcast but an entrepreneurial type of thinking person actually takes action and doesn't and so that's what i try to break down um to its core, like what a marketing mm-hmm. starter is and that mm-hmm. you are a marketer by trade, but you have this entrepreneurial drive inside of you to build mm-hmm. great things, to start stuff, to make stuff happen, to question the status quo. And yeah. then when I, and then the science part is that we look at what we do in marketing as a laboratory rather than a factory, right? You have yeah. to be, be open to experimentation. Sure. You have to chalk up 20 to 30% of what you do to, you know, just, trying it out and possibly yeah. blowing it up before it actually works. You yeah. can't look at what you're doing in marketing as a factory where you're just pulling that lever over and over again, yeah. like in I Love Lucy, where she's trying to eat all those chocolates. Like that's not going to work. Right? <laughs> marketing, marketing is a, is a, is so much more than just mm-hmm. a normal grind than, than it yeah. is just a uh, pushing buttons over and over again. Yeah. And so a marketing starter kind of 
you know, encompasses all of those elements, but really it's, it's thinking like how a startup founder would when you're trying to build a business from scratch. I love those elements because I love those two elements, the scientist, I mean, being a marketer, fair enough, but the scientist and the entrepreneur, because that's, I mean, I'm often talking about execution marketers and people that get on the hamster wheel and do the same thing over and over again. And I like those two elements that you discussed there, particularly being an entrepreneur, because you need it. And, and I think people might listen to this and think, oh, that's going to work okay if you're the marketer in a start. But that's not true because even in a large organization, God knows I've experienced this, you still, you have to make change. You need to bring change. You need to have a passion for that change because it's going to be fucking hard, right, <laughs> in, a, in a large organization to really turn the ship and really change the market, the marketing. So I, think, I love those two elements that you've included in there as well. And, I, and talking about, um, you know, starting new roles and stuff like that but the book is really like a playbook for mark to start a new role that's how i thought when i was reading it so and in that you detail a three phase approach to a new role and it's like your own uh you know we all like the what's the 90 day book it's it's a bit like that isn't it where you take us through you know your first 90 days what's that three phase approach that you've got there yeah and it's uh it is funny that you talk about the the 90 day plan Mm -hmm. right because when I've you know interviewed for companies, it's like, oh, can you put some, can you put a 90 day, 90 day plan together for us? So I'm like, sure. And it's like, I actually have like eight of them, like sitting in my Google yeah. drive and I could just yeah. swap your, your name in for, yeah. for, uh, yeah. for whoever the person yeah. I uh, made it for previous. Yeah. But yeah. The, the approach that I take that I think has, has been a winner for me is this three phase one where the first mm-hmm. part is I'm assessing and investigating when I'm yeah. either coming into a new, or- new organization, working with a new client, or, or even if you're already in the organization, if you're yeah. you know, currently employed as a marketer, you're taking on a new initiative, this could be part of that, right? Or maybe yeah. you're transitioning roles or something like that. Yeah. So it's putting on that detective hat and really taking the time to learn the business, yeah. understand the ins and outs of how the marketing org operates uh, today. Mm-hmm. That could be personnel, that could be uh, systems and tools and all of those things. Um, it could also be looking at the uh, proverbial uh, and metaphorical and real uh, marketing <laughs> closet. So some people have, you know, a Google Drive that's just smashed full of one sheets and all those other things. Other people yeah. might be in office and they go and open up a closet and then banners and one sheets and clothes out. So you have to take that time in that first yeah. phase to yeah. really just get a grasp of understanding the business itself, the marketing mm-hmm. org how things function. And really that's where you're performing your gap analysis. I mean, we do this for, we do this for uh, understanding our products. We do this for our customers and things like this, but this would be more of like an internal one. And then you can go, okay, uh, what's missing? Boy, we don't have any marketing automation tools today. Oh, what's missing? We've never done advertising in any capacity. What's missing? We've been talking about doing a case study for six months now, and we need that. The sales team's begging for it. So in that phase, you're able to do that. Uh, the second phase is really where I move into getting organized and building. And so now that you've figured out kind of that gap analysis and the state of the world, now you can actually start to move the pieces in place mm-hmm. and get the tools that you need set up, move team members around, hire the people that you need, get yeah. the contract, get all that stuff and start actually shaking together your plan and building out what you need to do. Um, so that one is very much like, just taking it, taking what you've learned from the first part yeah. and then starting to apply it. Right. Yeah. So then once, once you've kind of got your, 
ducks in a row in phase two. <laughs> I, 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 cliches, but literally that's the ducks yeah. in a row phase. Yeah. Then it's the uh, implement and scale. And mm-hmm. so now you've, you know, you've figured out what's missing. You've got yeah. things put in place to build the, the thing to fill in that gap. Mm-hmm. Now it's let's, let's actually make that stuff happen. Yeah. And so then it's implementing your plan and trying and testing and making things work. And that's really where the laboratory analogy comes yeah. in. How you're yeah. starting to implement, you're testing things, you're tinkering. Yeah. Marketing's never right the first time around. Never, ever, ever is it right the first yeah. time around. Yeah. You, you know, you might get you might glean best practices from a competitor or maybe from a company you worked at before yeah. Um, yeah. that, or, or that works well within your industry, but yeah. your company is always going to be somewhat special, somewhat nuanced. And so you can mm-hmm. maybe try a, tr- uh, a tested and true um, uh, maybe avenue of practice of doing marketing, but it yeah. might not work for you at the right time. So that's really where you got to implement it, figure that's it out, right. test it, and then it's scaling it up. So then we look back and we go, all right, we've tested all of these things. We know it yeah. works. We know what doesn't. Uh, let's take those things that work and try to ramp them up and then put more of our marketing resources and dollars toward that. So that's mm-hmm. really what I kind of do in a three phase. And yeah. by no means does that have to happen in 90 days. Um, it could happen. It could, that, that could take a year. Oh, yeah. Organization yeah. You're at. Yeah. Or yeah. if you're maybe you're a contractor and you're doing it with a with a client, it, you might have to do that in like two weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. Depends on your scenario. That's what I was yeah. going to say. Um, I listened to Drew Nyser's um, podcast, and he has some great guests on there. And and he he was talking to somebody the other day. And that first phase you were talking about, she's she's like, yeah, well, we did that for the first year. And I'm like, who gets that amount of time? But I, right. But I, I wish was, I had that amount of time. Yeah, most but of the time. I, and marketing starters usually don't. So no, and that that first phase, that discovery phase, is so important, particularly before you get institutionalized, and then you start thinking you know you start getting into the thoughts in, into the way that things have always been done I think because you come in from the outside in and do you think that approach for you because I, I missed the bit at the beginning though and I should have asked you what you do as a marketing consultant but do you think as a I mean you've been a marketing consultant for years right is that do you think that approach is that what helps you when you're in a new role you can take that sort of consultancy view that discipline that you've had to then do that discovery actually a hundred percent and that yeah. consultancy type of thinking or approach is a marketing starter approach because you're yeah. coming in you're like you're fully employed to an organization yeah and a marketing starter should never sit around and be and wait to be told what to do Absolutely. a consultant doesn't wait yeah. to be told what to do yeah a consultant is like i am my own business i'm coming mm-hmm. in to help to to serve as an expert to help you figure this out client so if yeah. you look at what you do even if you're employed with a yeah. company as a consultant you're already taking a huge step in thinking yeah. like a marketing starter yeah yeah no i like that and you do actually cover that in the book don't you about you can't wait to be told what to do um and and you come you to be told what to do you're already a step behind you're already failing yeah like, yeah, yeah yeah and um i mean you cover a lot in the, in the book and unfortunately um i should have actually just done like either a series with you or just <laughs> done a whole I'll episode i'll gladly come back this is fun <laughs> yeah definitely have you back and you cover everything you cover the you cover building team you cover the, man- the management side of it you cover building a budget it's a it's a very practical book a real how-to um but i want to fast forward to the end <laughs> well actually no what i want to ask you about because you also talk about why and i think maybe we've got a few minutes where i can just ask you about that part of the book you talk about simon sign it why which mm. is also part of my own self-marketing education, if you like. Sure. Why, why is that part of it so important for marketer out of those things you talked about? 
Yeah, well, I've I like many people, and like anyone who who's a who's a serious marketer should be part of that Simon Sinek school of starting with why. And if you guys haven't read his book, fantastic book, and his other his other books are really great too. Or watch his TED talk at the minimum. Yeah, yeah. Um, When it comes to really getting an understanding of what you're doing in marketing, you have to understand the company's why, the mission, the vision. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, if you don't have that buy into it, it's going to be hard for you as a marketer to translate what you need to do in your marketing activities to the outside world and, and try to, you have to you know buy into it yourself in order to then be able to sell it to the outside yeah. world. And if you don't understand the company's why and why they exist mm-hmm. and why they are even doing yeah. what they're doing, then yeah. it's really difficult for you to then do a good job. Yeah. And so taking a step back to be able to explore that for your own edification mm-hmm. as a marketer mm-hmm. is great. And I do that every single time I'm either working with a client or working at a full-time organization, whatever. But I've also had, I guess we'll call it a privilege to be able to help companies do that themselves and go, what's your why? Why do you, why do we exist? And they go, oh, we, you know, we make blah, 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 blah. And like people need that in the market. And it's like, "Uh, Uh what business are you (laughs) actually in? And they're like, oh, well, we make widgets. And it's like, but what does that widget do for people? Yeah, and they go, yeah. it does this. I'm like, but yeah. is that what it actually does? Or does it yeah. allow them to spend more time with their family because you sim- because you simplified their workday and exactly. allowed them to get home earlier? And they're like, yeah. and they go, oh. And so, yeah. so Simon Sinek's teachings have really helped me. And honestly, yeah. <laughs> honestly, I wish that that was a course that I took when I was in college because wow. that would have been like, it was such an aha moment when I yes. first I can, years ago. I completely agree. And, um, <laughs> and, also, we as marketers, sometimes we invent the why and you can't do that. It has to be absolutely authentic. You have to talk to the rest mm-hmm. of the business and you may not agree with the why, but you've got to. That's the authentic business that you're going to need to take to market. And also, yeah. I, I, caught, I got some of that also from um, like one of the oldest books, Theodore Levitt, when he talks about, um, you know, the railway industry being in the transportation industry. And, you know, it's those kinds of conversations that I think are fascinating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, yeah. I took us I took us down a path there which I shouldn't have done at 20 minutes. No, but... well, I mean, I think one just one other one other great point with that yeah. that that you just said a second ago was that yeah. you can't manufacture it. You can't make it up no. either. Like you can no. help you can help the company discover it if they yes. haven't, you know, had their aha moment. But I think that's why it's important for marketers to really have a transparent and great working relationship with the yeah. founding team, if they're yeah. around yeah. or the executive team, who's responsible for company culture and responsible for yeah. company. Why? And I've had the great privilege to, you know, work alongside with CEOs and even report to executive staff. And that's really the only way that you're going to be able to do that. And in my book, I say like, Hey, try to find a time to sit down with the CEO when you're coming into yeah. the company. That's part of yeah. your assess and invest, uh, assess and yeah. investigate phase. Yeah. Sit yeah. down with them and go, Hey, why'd you start this company? And just yeah. take, pretend like you're interviewing them, like you're, yeah. you're from a magazine or something. Yeah. And it'll help you figure yeah. out and formulate better marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I, lo- I love that idea. And, and the, also this, um, the authenticness of it, but it may be that they did, they don't have a great big vision for the world. They just enjoy making a quality product or they enjoy the engineering, whatever it is, you'll figure out something about the culture of the organization from that. Won't you? It may not be a high ideal or dream. It may be, I just really like making this thing. 
and that could be <laughs> that could be a brand attribute that that you can sell as a marketer right exactly. so anyway i was uh, before i interrupted myself with the why thing at the end of your book i mean it covers <laughs> all sorts of things you share 50 tips right which are all great um but can i push you for one or two maybe that or yeah i think we've only got time for one or two that marketers <laughs> should focus on that and that they should take away from from this conversation yeah, so the the tips I thought were a pretty fun part of the. I book. love how you're flicking into the book as we speak. I know that. Well, yeah, I gotta I gotta book. look at it so I can yeah. you know look at yeah. which ones I marked down for the interview here. Yeah, but I think the tips were kind of a fun little anecdote to mm -hmm. have in the book where I have them scattered throughout, and then at the end of the book yeah. I have a whole index of them that people yeah. can actually take away, and they're just kind of the things that I learned. Yeah. Um, but I would say the actually the last two that are mm -hmm. in the book I think are to me are the most impactful because yeah. it's. It's tip 49 in my book says that we should, you should never hang up your starter hat. Nice. Uh, you can and should still apply your marketing starter tactics within your marketing grower roles as well. Mm -hmm. And so I, I talk about how you can be a starter and you can mm -hmm. be a grower and you can yeah. change kind of, you can wear different hats and move through as you're, mm -hmm. Uh, as you're growing in your career, but you should never hang up that starter hat. You should always be right. thinking like an entrepreneur, no matter what right. type of level that you've made it in, in your career. So right. you could be a CEO or yeah. you could be a junior marketing coordinator, always be thinking with that entrepreneur hat. So I think that one's most right. effective. Uh -huh. And then um, tip 50, which I think is just kind of funny because it, it basically just says, you know, uh, put put down this book, roll up your sleeves and get started. And that goes back to, it's like, okay, you're done. Like, stop, stop reading now. Stop like thinking about it. Throw this book away and go do something. And that, again, yeah. is the essence of being yeah. an entrepreneurial minded. I think it was, was it la last year I interviewed Christine Del Villar, who wrote, who wrote a book called Sway. And she's got this very straight similar to your style very honest straight style and she was exactly the same just get on with it you know i mean it was almost in the get intro on just get it. on with it yeah i love it <laughs> all right so I want to how, my say it, how the brits say it they say keep calm carry on right yeah like, exactly keep calm exactly. get started <laughs> <laughs> get shit done all right so final question we have a regular feature on rockstar cmo called the swimming pool our portal to hell for all the bs snake oil and overhype trends that's everything that's wrong with the marketing craft we love. What would you throw into our Rockstar CMO swimming pool? Yeah, I would throw in this concept that marketers feel like they need to oftentimes take on this feeling of crisis mode that they get oh, wow. from yeah. executive leadership yeah. or from or from the counterparts and people around them. Yeah. Marketers primarily serve as internal service providers, right? Mm -hmm. They their primary customers are the exec team, the sales team, the customer success yeah. team, the yeah. product team. You, you have to manage all of these people. And yeah. a lot of times they're like, we need this, we need that. Oh my gosh, it's urgent. It's life or death. It's, is it yeah. life or death that we get this <laughs> social media post up tomorrow? Or can I finish this revenue driving marketing <laughs> campaign first? So take that idea, yeah. take that stress off of you, throw it into the pit of despair, yeah. It's not a freaking crisis all the time. And actually, I have a part of my book where I talk about that. It's called What Marketing Crisis? It's not yeah. a crisis. Just because someone said it is, you need to yeah. be good about doing your prioritization, stick into your plan, stick into your guns as an expert, and yeah. throw that stress and that crisis away. <laughs> I love that. That I've never, I mean, we've been doing this for a while. So a lot of people have very common themes with the swimming pool. I've never heard 
anybody throw the stress and crisis into the swimming pool. And I think that's perfect. Thank you very much, Tim. Well, I and, promise you I'd come in with some unique thoughts here. So. Yes, I love it. <laughs> and um, when, um, yeah, you've been a very unique guest. I mean, the CIA for a start. But when, when, we, uh, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, uh, where are they going to find you, Tim? Yeah, well, they can find the podcast that you mentioned, um, fellow podcast on the Marketing Podcast Network, MPN. Um, you can find me, the book, the podcast, everything. If you go to themarketingstarter.com, you can check me out there. And also just you know, find me on LinkedIn, Tim Hines. Love connecting with everybody there as well. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Tim. I look forward to having you back and also in our collaborations in, on MPN as well as we regularly chat there. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you, sir. Speak to you soon. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, Tim. I enjoyed that. What a great guest. And that's just a taste of what he shares in his book. I recommend you take a look. While the title says Marketing Starter, definitely plenty here for everyone. Especially, I like the point that we need to fire up our inner entrepreneur. Right, it's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, hello, my friend, and welcome to the hello. bar. It's by, nice to be back in the virtual bar after we saw each other yes. in the real bar, which was lovely. It was always lovely yes. to see you, and, and we had such yes. a great time. Um, yes. So Thank you very yeah. much. I, yeah. I've just about recovered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, enough of that. We shouldn't, um, you know, what goes on in a London bar stays in a London bar, I always say. <laughs> there it is. I, I think that's probably true. I think that's probably true. And, you know, I mean, it's nice to see, I'll put it this way. It's nice to see how many people are back, right? I mean, it's, you yes. know, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh it, it's, it feels semi-normal again. Um, yeah. Anyway. So uh, yeah, here, here we are in the, in, in the virtual bar and, and, and I have mm -hmm. a, I have a nice, again, similar to last week, uh, yes. a, a very simple uh, cocktail. Uh, mm -hmm. And and it's because I have been, um, you know, now because of the time that I spent in your lovely country, I was mm -hmm. longing a bit for some warmth. Um, so uh, <laughs> we you know, and sunshine, which is always, uh, uh, you know, and so we went. We, we when we got back, we went out to the beach mm -hmm. um, and uh, spent a little time. And I had one of these, and it's a lovely, very simple uh, cocktail. I don't mm -hmm. normally drink a lot of vodka, but this is a vodka mm -hmm. drink. Um, mm -hmm. And it's uh, one of the more popular drinks here in the U.S. I don't know how popular it is there, but it, one of the more popular drinks here is a vodka cranberry. Um, now, mm -hmm. what we like to do here is we mix that. So it's vodka, cranberry, and grapefruit juice uh, mm -hmm. to make what we call a sea breeze. Um, and oh. it is a nice thing to have while you're sitting on the beach. Um, just very a very refreshing, refreshing lovely cocktail, mm -hmm. especially if it's a little warm. That sounds delicious. That sounds absolutely delicious. I shall attempt to make a refreshing sea breeze using the uh, ingredients on my desktop bar. As you can hear from the clanking, yes, I'm going to do something a little bit different from last week. 
uh, and from the from the other weeks because you inspired me two weeks ago with some ingredients that I actually had around the house that I've actually brought to my bar. Ah, so um, did you put ice in that? Uh, yes, this one has ice in it. It is just a very right. straightforward, like pour some stuff All in right. and make it to nice. taste, right? You know, so that's why I didn't even you know one cool. part this, two part that's nope. Just put enough nice. vodka in to you know be serious yes. about it, and then uh, put All a right. little cranberry and a little grapefruit juice in there. Right. Well, I'm going to go with the most uh, English of vodkas. I'm going to go for some Sipsmith's London Dry Gin. Ah, indeed. But and I'm putting way, it in a sh- Russian vodka here, just to be clear. You know, this is yeah, a, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Yes, very well. I'm, I'm going to pour that into a shaker glass, which might give you a clue as to... Oop, uh, that might be more than a measure. Uh, and might give you a clue as to where I might be deviating this week. Um, and then the mixer that you used was cranberry juice, you tell me. That is correct. A little cranberry mm. juice, is um, which is nice. I don't really love cranberry juice. It's not my favorite. So I, I mm. lean a little more heavily into the grapefruit there. Um, yeah. But the, the cranberry and the grapefruit together are lovely. Mm. Do you think the gentleman at Martini Vermouth Factory, where they make their extra dry vermouth, do you think they use any cranberry or grapefruit juice? I don't know. Oh, well, I hope they do, because that's what I'm going to toss into here. Oh, there dry... you go. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> some, dry, some dry vermouth. I've just popped into there. Still still, uh, still have my bottle of vermouth. And then uh, I'm getting really fancy here, mate. You're, you're going to be surprised and delighted by the fact that I've de- deviated from our joke. And from two weeks ago, you suggested that I should uh, use, this is a bit like, uh, uh, this is a bit like grapefruits, uh, the juice of some capers. Ah, yes. <laughs> you might Ooh. be guessing what I'm making. Yeah. A little bit of juice one. of the capers. In there. I, the I can't remember. It was about... you, I mean, you know, I think What's capers are, are, are second only to cucumber as a staple in the English diet. <laughs> so I think it shouldn't <laughs> have been too difficult for you to find that. Yeah. Yes. And then I'm um, continuing with my dirtiness. There's another clue. Uh, I'm popping a little bit of the water from some olives. Ah, that's brilliant. In here. And then I'm going to give that, oh, yeah, and then I'm going to give that a good stir. I've got ice in there. In here. This is when the, uh, this is when I deafen the audience. And then I'm going to pour that using my little strainer thingy. You pick that up. There we go. Oh, look, that's dirty. Oh, dirty. And um, I, because I don't usually say what my drink's called. Uh, people have to guess because they had to listen to it two weeks ago. Uh, and I'm going to put an olive in that. Now, this is absolutely filthy because these olives have got anchovies <laughs> in the middle of them. <laughs> I've, I've put an olive I like an that as, a, as the name of the drink, the absolutely filthy <laughs> Let me give this a sip. Yeah. Mmm. That is delicious, Robert. What are we calling that? That, well, you're calling that an absolutely <laughs> filthy martini. I, what, the drink that I made was uh, a, a what we call a sea breeze. Yeah. Yes, I suspect mine isn't quite as refreshing. But yes, for the listeners that aren't regular listeners, two weeks ago you made a, a dirty martini and I thought I'd make myself a filthy martini having seen you this week. So yeah. yes. so cheers, my friend. Cheers, yes. <laughs> All right, so uh, where are we going to be drinking these incredibly refreshing drinks? Well, you know, I think, yeah, I think, well, the beach is Mm -hmm. is, is certainly in order here, but we've been Mm -hmm. to Malibu and some of my local beaches here. So what I thought was Mm -hmm. we'd go to a different beach. um, And I've just watched for the maybe, I don't know, 50 or 60th time, 
um, the movie Shawshank Redemption. Um, yeah. And of course, the beach that they mention at the very end of Shawshank, and, and it's just an amazing place, is in Mexico, Zihuataneo. Um, and, and it's a beautiful little beach town there, a small little beach town, West coast of, uh, Mexico. So I think mm. that's where we go. We go join, nice. uh, Andy and red, and we go down to, uh, Zihuataneo in Mexico and sit Sounds on the beach fabulous. and drink <laughs> filthy martinis and, <laughs> and, uh, and sea breezes. We're supposed to be drinking the sea breezes. I just couldn't, and I've never had one. I, I, I shouldn't be talking about my uh, my drinks. I've ruined the joke, but um, I've never made one of these before, and this is delicious. <laughs> I I told you, I this is this is the, the thing. Yeah. The, the little bit of um, olive, uh, the, the water from the olive and the and the um, and the capers. It's just, and I've genuinely made it. This that wasn't sound effects. I've genuinely made it. It's delicious, um, and I, as I, as I always make the drinks every week. Um, yep. the, so, the problem with the filthy martini like that is, is that that saltiness makes you yeah. want to drink more. So you end up <laughs> you end up guzzling it, right? You end up like, you know, two minutes later, you find that you've you've shot down the martini, and you're like, oh dear, that was that was quick, and my head is now feeling that. Well, let's see if I can last for the next whatever fifteen minutes we have of this Indeed. interview. Well, um, of our bar discussion, it's not really an interview. Um, where so we've uh, we know where we're going to be. We're by the beach. We're drinking <laughs> these wonderful drinks. We're vaguely aware of our, our surroundings. Yeah. And, um, You're vaguely and, aware of your location at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to make very little contribution to this conversation. What are we going to be talking about this week? Love it. Uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about subject matter experts. Um, mm. You know, uh, I had someone uh, email me a question, and it's a question that comes up a lot um, mm. with regard, especially in B2B, um, and which is, you know, access to our subject matter experts when we're trying to create thought leadership as a brand can often be limited. Um, and the other challenge to that is, of course, that uh, the subject matter experts may not be great content creators. And mm -hmm. so the question that my colleague had emailed me about was they were having some trouble because they couldn't decide. Um, they, you know, they had found and hired a content creator who was a wonderful, wonderful writer, um, but not at all an expert in their industry or their business. And there were some real right. challenges there. And, you know, the, the, so the question sort of then reemerged for them, which is, do we, you know, we bring in subject matter experts um, in terms of our content team because, you know, and, and, and hopefully, you know, help them write better. Um, or do we bring in writers and teach them the subject and mm. which is the better approach? And my, you know, and my answer to her was the headline, you know, because there's lots of caveats to this. But my mm -hmm. headline is, is the latter is, is that it's almost certainly easier to train a great writer, communicator, journalist, yeah. content creator yeah. to be a subject matter in your business rather than yeah. trying to, be, to, to teach a subject matter expert how to write great yeah. content. And, yeah. and so the question is then, well, how do you approach that? And the, if you take that philosophy, first of all, it assumes a couple of things, which is one, it assumes that the business, your business, the business that you work for or own 
is agreeing to invest the time and the resource to help great content creators develop some subject matter expertise. In other words, it's not going to just magically happen. Um, mm -hmm. You have to develop a whole program where your great content creators are exposed to subject matter expertise, either from the SMEs themselves or from others so that they become at least level one or level two, you know, subject yeah. matter experts in the topic. The second, and this is probably even the more critical one, because I see this all the time, is that the content creators want to become subject matter experts. Um, one of the things that I find yeah. a lot in B2B businesses that have dived into content marketing is I'll talk to the content marketers there, the ex-journalists or the marketing practitioners that have found themselves doing thought leadership. And they, they'll, they'll say, you know, they'll say what they, you know, they'll say the thought bubble mm -hmm. out loud, which is, I don't really care about this stuff. Like, I don't care about yeah. the topic that my business writes about. I'm just here to make sure the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and that everything looks good. And it's like, yeah, that's, you're, you're no longer a content creator. You're simply an editor. And, and, yeah. and even that yeah, yeah. is, is arguable and you should probably look for a new job. Um, and so, you know, what we find is, is that taking a process based approach to this is the, is truly the way to start to balance your, you know, inventory is a, yeah. is a horrible word, but it's for lack of a better one. It's really, how do you one, create an ongoing education program so that you can raise the tide on all your content creator boats so that they actually have some level of expertise to be able to talk to it Two integrate this and this is maybe the most difficult piece of this process which is integrate i call them subject matter ride-alongs but it's really just exposing your subject matter yeah. experts to your content creators right so often they're yeah. like i don't have time to sit with a writer or i don't have time to teach this because i'm so busy being a subject matter expert or i'm mm -hmm. so busy creating a piece of content but you've got to get them in the same office you've got to get them yeah. in, you know together and talking and working and and really collaborating on great voice stuff because yeah. your content creators will benefit and your subject matter experts will benefit. And then yeah. the third, which is often, um, you know, just a forgotten piece is don't be afraid to rent, um, you know, until you buy. Yeah. And what I mean by that is don't forget that there are great journalists, great experts who have blogs, who have great content platforms, who are also freelancers and, you know, willing to mm -hmm. write um, yeah. and that you can rent them to both teach your subject matter experts how to create better content, but also yeah. to teach your writers how to, how to talk about the subject matter expertise and get a little bit of their influence or whatever, you know, power that they yeah. have along with yeah. it. So it's coming up with that sort of three legged strategy yeah. process that will help you balance that, that need over time. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the way that you didn't, that, that, that it, that there's a balanced approach to this, that the one answer isn't the right answer. Um, because I, I also think that a good content writer, and if you do find those people that just want to dot the I's and don't care about the content, you're absolutely right. They're not right for you. Um, but I like the, um, I also think that a writer that, that is curious and doesn't know the subject matter can often be representing the reader. Do you know what I mean? And, and so they're going through a journey themselves that they're trying to explain to the reader. So if you're in a highly complex, it's really easy, isn't it? You get into your little bubble, particularly in B2B, of, 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 um, uh, of three-letter acronyms and terminology and all that shit. Somebody fresh comes in and, you, and they're trying to explain it to the reader. Is that, that can be a really good perspective, can't it, on your B2B content anyway? 
It's absolutely the case. Um, yeah. And that's that sort of journalist mindset, right? You know, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. one of the things that I often talk about is, you know, and this is especially true in that sort of rent to own space as well, which is yeah. you can, you know, if you look at some of the best journalists out there, especially those that are in verticals, right? Whether it be technology yeah. or financial services or, you know, whatever, you know, uh, yeah. manufacturing, you know, somebody who's been covering that beat for however many yeah. years. Yeah. They're maybe not practitioners, but they're as much an expert in the industry oh, yeah. and thought leaders as some of the yeah. thought leaders are. And so, yeah. you know, like in financial services, that great financial services writer may not be a great money manager, but they may mm. know as much as a money manager mm. around the thought mm. leadership and trends in the industry. And so it's it's yeah. it's such an important piece to understand that those great content creators can, you know, they may not be the name um, mm -hmm. You know, because when you think about thought leadership, you're really after two things. One is obviously mm -hmm. the thought, the leadership of thought, yeah. right? Which, you know, the yeah. ideas yeah. themselves. But the second yeah. thing you're looking after is the the name recognition with the practitioner yeah. in the industry, you know, right? your thought yeah. leader. And many of those writers aren't going to have that level of, yeah. of, of, uh, of brand, as it were, but they will have the level of being able to either uh, provide the content for your business or... Yeah they will actually have a different level of brand, which is they yeah. themselves have an audience uh, that they can yeah. reach of your, you know, yeah. of your customers too. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I thought, so, you know, a blend of those things in your content strategy. So you've got those high, um, you know, the, the, those influencers and the, those sort of the, the, the top end of your content, as well as, you know, all the way down filling that. The other thing, the, the other thing I found as well is, is, is when a subject matter expert, tries to write like marketing and thinks that they need to like write in a certain style that they think is a marketing style and it's awful right and you want to get them actually to be a bit more right with their own genuine voice that's what i found have you seen that as well i have yeah i yeah. mean and, and by the way the reverse too so yes you know, yeah, i mean yeah. it's you know i mean one of the things that comes up a lot is the idea of of technical documentation right so yeah should engineers write the technical docs you know for a, yeah. for a particular thing and 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 you know technical documentation is its own art form quite frankly mm. um mm -hmm. and and the way that you write tech, technical documentation is highly dependent on the audience and and the way that they're going to consume and the reason they're going to consume is it really just to the find the shortest pass from a to b or yeah. Are you trying to train them and engage them and educate them in a deeper concept or yeah. are you trying to engage them and entertain them in some way? And so yeah. when we think about technical documentation, it is its own form of content. And so mm -hmm. is it better for that engineer to write it because they probably will write it in the shortest path from A to B, <laughs> but probably aren't great at writing the deeper level mm -hmm. education and engagement that keeps somebody you know, mm -hmm. deeply entertained for a deeper concept education. So, mm -hmm. you know, that finding the right purpose behind your, you know, the audience's uh, need yeah. and what you're trying to convey is such an yeah. important piece of that because people are just more adept at writing different kinds of things than others. Yeah. I mean, having run product development teams in, earlier in my career, trying to get them just to comment their code, <laughs> let alone write documentation, it's impossible. So I think uh, yeah, right. you definitely need some help with that. Uh, well, that's that's a, a, a wonderful thought, um, trying to get our SMEs to write content and that uh, across that content strategy, uh, content marketing strategy. Um, and where will people find subject matter expertise 
uh, if they were to stroll around the internet. Well, you know, mm-hmm. there's, a few, there's a few places, um, <laughs> you know, primarily on our wonderful little hovel on the website, which is contentadvisory.net. Mm-hmm. That's mostly where we, uh, where we publish splendid. things. Splendid. And when not, and not in any that. technical way. <laughs> not in any technical way. There's yeah. no comments in your code. And right. uh, when that people spin... <laughs> That's a fair point. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? They're going to find me mostly on Twitter and or LinkedIn, both of which I love mm. to uh, engage on. Splendid. And will you join us back in the virtual bar next week? I will be here, no doubt. I look forward to it, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. It was wonderful to see him in real life this week. And you won't be surprised. I had a gin and tonic. So that's a wrap on episode 108 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Martin podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Tim and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work and check out all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or rockstarcmo.fm. We can also find all our previous episodes. So does the world need another effing martin podcast please let us know and help other people find us by dropping a rating or review in your favorite podcast app or just keep listening i'm glad you're here next week jeff and i will be chatting about being a challenger brand i'm looking forward to chatting with laurie jones president and ceo of avaset communications and robert will be back in the rockstar cmo virtual bar until then have a great week and i hope you'll join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.